God bless you, Sue. Um, just to let you know where we're going with today's message, I'm going to talk about two knocks on the doors of our hearts. And the first knock, if that slide can come up, was the verse that led me to the Lord and maybe other people too. Um, I don't remember anything else from that sermon. It was Easter Sunday, 1977, and the preacher said, uh, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. You know, he's knocking to come in. Will you let him in? And my life was such a mess. And I knew I needed Jesus in my life. So I let him in, and he's been there ever since, since 1977. What a beautiful scripture that is. Um, it's often used, like I heard it, as a salvation call. But actually, it is a wake-up call for the church. That's how it was originally um, communicated. And last Sunday, if you were listening to what Pastor David spoke about, he spoke of God's love of his church and his people. It was true in the Bible days. It's true in our days. Um, you know, why does God want to be in our lives? Why is he knocking at the door of our heart to come in? Why does he walk with us and bless us and discipline us sometimes? It's because, as David said, you know, the church is the most important institution in the world, and God loves the church. And that isn't the building, it's that isn't that beautiful cross, as beautiful as it is. It's you and me here that God loves. And so that's why he wants to be in our hearts. Um, and so I'm just going to read out what God said to that first church in Laodicea who needed a wake-up call. You know, they thought they had it all. They were a wealthy church. Um, and so they just thought that everything was going quite well for them. And they needed a bit of a, a wake-up from God to remind them what was really going on, how he saw them. And Pastor David and Rochelle, Pastor Roger, I'm not saying real life needs a wake-up call because it's a lukewarm church. Okay, everybody? This is not, you don't go home with that. This church is the very opposite of a lukewarm church. But sometimes some of us can get lukewarm in our walk. So if we could have that scripture up, it's Revelation 3, 14 to 20. I'm going to read it. You can follow it along in your own Bibles. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So that's a description of Jesus. So this is Jesus speaking to the church. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And these are the words of a loving friend, a great brother, the best of parents. And I wish, you know, I don't have time to unpack it all, but I'm going to unpack a few things and then we'll move on to the second um, knocking on the door. Well, Jesus had some good news, bad news for these Laodiceans, and it all links into the words, I know your deeds. So I'm going to start off with the bad news, if we could have that slide up. The bad news is God sees everything. There's nothing going on in this world and in our lives that God doesn't see, so we can't get away with anything. Do you want to hear the good news? God sees everything. There is nothing going on in this world and in our lives that he doesn't see. We can't get away with anything. There is such security in that. Can you feel the security that is in that of a God who knows how we are, what we're doing, what's going on? And his assessment of the Laodiceans was, you're neither hot nor cold. Now, hot here is boiling hot, you know, boiling like a volcano, boiling out, fervent, eager. That's how he wanted them to be. Or there's arctic cold, you know, those never warmed up snows and ice. You know, either of those were okay. He's describing in the arctic cold those people who have not yet been saved, but lukewarm. Just think of that lukewarm cup of coffee with the scum on top. (laughs) Or the the lukewarm food. Where we are in Central Asia, they cook most delicious curries and food. And it comes with the fat from the sheep tail. Sheep have this big fat tail. And with the spices, oh, it's so delicious. But when it gets cold, it makes this sort of orange scum round the side of the plate. And I don't have any pictures of orange scum on the plates, not surprisingly, because it's unappetizing. But that's what he was saying. A church that's proud of its independence and its wealth. To me, you're like a cup of cold coffee with the scum on top or scum round the plate. You're lukewarm and unappetizing, and I don't want you to be like that anymore. That's his message. I don't want you to be. It's, it's not that judgment that they're doomed forever. It's I don't want you to be like that anymore. Because lukewarmness as a lifestyle, it's fatal. Because it feels like I'm getting warm, but actually... I'm drifting towards being cold. And Jesus would prefer that the Laodiceans were cold rather than hot because he's got a plan for the cold, doesn't he? He's got our great commission to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to the cold, to those who aren't saved. But lukewarm people, you're just on the edges of God's promises and what he wants to do and the best for your life. And he doesn't want us to miss out on that very best for each of our lives because we're in this lukewarm stage. God so loves his church. He loves us. 
He loves us. He's the best of friends, the greatest of brothers, the best of parents. So Jesus explains to them how they need to see themselves as God sees them in their true condition. And the words are in Revelation, wretched, pitiful, poor, naked, blind. They're to be pitied in their miserable poverty. And they think they've got in everything. You know, they're wealthy, they're doing well. This is what God is saying to them. So I want us to pause just for a moment. Where would you place yourself today? You know, are you bubbling hot? You know that cheese on top of a pizza sort of bubbles away and you can't wait to cool down a bit so you can get that piece of pizza? Are you fervent and bubbling, um, really overflowing in love for, for Jesus? You're ready to jump up and down. I could jump up and down quite often. Or maybe it's the adoration on the ground, but you're bubbling hot for Jesus. Are you lukewarm? Be honest. Nobody, I'm not going to ask for a hands up, you know. (laughs) Otherwise, my hand, I don't know. But, but, you know, are you? Because if you are, this is just a little nudge. Just a little nudge. Let Jesus sit further into your life. Don't let the fat congeal around your plate. If you've never known what it is to fall in love with Jesus and have him as your Lord, well, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart too. And this is your day. This is your day. Talk to people here who they know what it's like to be in that love relationship with Jesus Christ. Wherever you are at today, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart to come in, to be part of the excitement to warm you up again, to lead you to himself. It's not the end of the service, but I am going to stop just for a second or two. Let's just think. Let's just talk to the Lord in our minds. Just take a little stop, take. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Jesus says, I counsel you. So I wonder what tone of voice he used. Gentle, loving, or was he firm when he spoke to them? See him sort of slightly sitting on the edge of his chair, listening, engaged. Of course, there's an irony there because he's counseling people who think they have it all. You don't usually go to the counselor when you think you've got it all. But he offers them the free gift of spiritual wealth. Really? That's all it says. He says, buy from me gold, white clothes, salve for your eyes. Ladies, wouldn't you love this for your wedding dress? Isn't it gorgeous? From a shop in our place, in our city. (laughs) We know salvation is free because as we heard this morning, Jesus paid the price for all of us. So why do we have to buy something from Jesus? Because there's a cost in following Christ. It's the cost of giving up and surrendering our lives. And actually, it's the release to do that. Because who's got the responsibility now? You know, he carries it. Who carries those weights for us? He does. 
Jeff and I gave up careers and families when we went overseas, but gained the incredible pleasure of walking with God to places that we would have never gone to ourselves. He gave us back so much more than we've ever given up. It's worthwhile letting Jesus right into your life and surrendering everything to him. Sometimes it does involve becoming physically, practically poor. But that, you know, isn't what God says, because we may be poor in the things of the world, but we're millionaires in the things of Christ. You know, that's what the surrendering is. We become millionaires. You know, I've, I've never felt poor, even though sometimes I've only had a few dollars in this world. And then that moves us to the next door and the next knock. And it comes from the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. He says, listen, my lover is knocking. It's this love story. The Song of Songs is a a love story of a Shulamite bride and her lover. And uh, it's a sort of love poetry. And the church hasn't quite known what to do with this book of the Bible um, because it is love poetry. It's a deep, mature love. And uh, she talks about the shape of her her lover's legs. And he talks about more than the color of her eyes. And I'm just going to stop there. It's, it's a love poem about God's love for us. And Betty, in our last encounter, she spoke prophetically about how much God loves us. And this is about God's love for us. Mature, deep, intimate relationship that we can have with him. And so early in their relationship, this lover Jesus had called this Shulamite bride, this lady, to follow him. Uh, I have that slide up. He says, arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. The winter in your life is over. Spring is here. It's a new season, a new start. She got up and she followed him, discovered him, and, and they became an item together. Let's put it that way. I don't have time to unpack the whole story, but by the time we reach chapter 5, the beloved and the lover, you and me and Jesus, we've been in a loving relationship for a long time. And so Jesus, the lover, he comes to her house at night unexpectedly, and he knocks on the door. He actually, it says, he, he puts his finger through the latch to, to try and come in. So I'm going to read the story out. It's a, as I say, it's a love poem. And the words are on the screen, or you can follow in your Bible. Song of Songs, chapter 5, verses 2 to 8. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. And she replied, I've taken off my robe, must I put it on again? I've washed my feet, must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. 
I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen on the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him, I am faint with love. It's beautiful language. Um, And I'm just going to pull out a very few things again. I slept but my heart was awake. You know, every spouse, every parent knows what it's like to go to bed with that slight worry, you know, when are they coming home? Um, You know, we can sleep and yet be awake. You know that feeling. This Shulamite bride and her lover had just settled into that mature sort of relationship which felt like a comfortable bed on a winter's night. You know, who wants to get out of bed when it's so cozy and it's cold out there? Just comfortable old married couple type of, you know, relationship. Uh, The Passion Bible translates this verse as, After this, I let my devotion slumber got into a routine with Jesus. You know, he gets up, puts the kettle on, I get, you know, that sort of thing. So she says, I've gone to bed. I can't be bothered with getting up again. I've got clean feet. I don't want to get them dirty again. But Jesus, a lover in this poem, he loves us to bits. And he wants more for her. He wants to come more into her life, to be with her and fellowship with her for a cuddle. So he tries to open the door. In modern terms, you can imagine that handle going up and down, but Jesus won't force himself into a life that doesn't want him, you know? And so when she didn't open the door, he left. And the Shulamite bride had second thoughts. Of course I want more of Jesus in my life. So she gets up, opens the door, and his love for her is this myrrh that's dripping from the vault. You know, he's left that message of love behind. And she decides, I'm going to follow him. Even though it's dark, I'm going to follow him. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called, but he did not answer The dark night of the soul, we sometimes call this. A couple of things I just want to talk about. What does it mean when God isn't obviously present? When we feel empty? Jesus, the lover, knows that for her to grow spiritually, she needs to experience a season when he isn't right there with her. It's not that he's gone but he's not right there with her. Is she willing to pursue him even though he's not standing right there? It's a test, isn't it? Am I willing? Nobody else can walk my love walk of Jesus for me. I have to walk it myself. Dark days, sunny days, when he's close by and when I can't feel his presence. Jesus, you know, had already made this walk for us. He's only asking us to do what he has done for us, to pick up the cross, follow him, and make that walk 
you know, that dark, lonely walk. But he did it for us. He did it for his father. God never stopped loving, never stopped being there. It's, it's what I call the discipline of God standing to one side. You know, are we still going to love when God is standing to one side? And it, waiting for him to be close again can be really tough. You know, takes our joy away. We find it hard to worship. But like the lady in this story, we reach out for Jesus because we're going to follow him. We want to find him. That's our passion. And you know, friends, it is only for a season. It's not a forever experience. Jesus went through the cross and all of that, but then he reunited with the Father. We go through these seasons. It matures us. It deepens our love. But then we're together again. And then the second thing from this passage is, what I like to call the theology of hardship. It's the opposite of loving God when everything is going well and we're receiving the blessings. It actually sorts out, will we love God when life doesn't feel much like I'm being blessed? And so what went wrong for her? And we can put that slide up. She met the watchman. Now, I've chosen a cuddly watchman on purpose. He used to guard the gate for my son's school. But this watchman, what do they do? Instead of helping her, beat her, bruised her, robbed her of her shawl, made her very vulnerable. Sometimes we meet cruel, with cruel treatment from people we trust from other Christians sometimes, unexpected, from people who we, we are meant to look after us. So what are we going to do with that? What does she do with that, this cruel treatment? Well, she turns away and goes home, right? No, she doesn't. She keeps pursuing Jesus and she meets these ladies She calls them the daughters of Jerusalem. She says, if you find my lover, if you find him ahead of me, then tell him I'm faint with love. She passed the test. She loves Jesus for who he is, not just the things that he might bless her life with, not because of how other people treated her. She loves Jesus because Jesus loves her. And they've fallen in love with each other. And so the few verses on, he says to her, sorry, she says, I am my beloved, and beloved, my beloved is mine. We know that so well, and we often sing, and his banner over me is love. But in this particular verse here, it says, goes on to say, he browses among the lilies, which is the dot, 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 dot of their relationship together. They're back together in this deep, deep, mature relationship. Can you imagine how much stronger her love is for him, having gone through this dark time? And then he responds to her, you're beautiful, my darling. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me, my dove. My perfect one is unique. Can you imagine Jesus speaking to us like that? Now, I know, men, that might be a little bit more uncomfortable for you. But sometimes it's good to, you know, bring out the woman's side. 
But you can imagine this deep love. And the Greek word here, oh, sorry, I'll just want to say one more thing there. And this is wrapping up, starting to wrap up now. Going back to the book of Revelation, Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. St. Augustine, he was an early church father. He said, in my paraphrase, God disciplines every person he takes as his child. You will not be an exception. If you want to miss out on the discipline, then you have to miss out on the sonship. Those whom I love, that's the love of deep affection, nothing to do with earning it. It's love that's unconditional, absolute. Those whom I love, I rebuke the work of the Holy Spirit, our hearts, consciences. Those whom I love, I discipline, that's experience that we go through. His command to the Laodiceans is to be habitually earnest. Make earnestness for Jesus your lifestyle. And of course, because God's so great with words, this word earnest means to boil. He wants them to be hot, to be fervent, to be boiling hot for Jesus. The absolute opposite of being lukewarm. Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts today. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? I'm looking around the faces. You know, that. open it up that bit more. If you've, if you've opened it a bit, open it up a bit more. Open it up again. Let him in. He's letting him in for salvation if you've never met him personally before. It's an alarm call if you're congealing. I hope nobody here is congealing. It's to bring you to another level in your love relationship with him. He'll come in and share a meal with us. And that's the bread of life coming in and and talking to us and eating with us and fellowshipping with us and loving us. But there's even more than that. There's another invitation, and it's to be his bride and to sit with him on the throne. Because he says, and they're saying this to the very people that he is about to spit out. To him who overcomes... I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What a beautiful place to be. Can't you imagine? I mean, I'm just looking forward to it because I love Jesus with all my heart. I'm looking forward to it. It doesn't matter who we are, who you are, who I am in the eyes of the world. It's who I am in Jesus' eyes that counts. And so I'm going to tell a story now and just wrap up the message with this story. Would you mind if I just had a drink of water? I could tell the story better if I don't have a dry mouth. So a man, a man opened his heart to Jesus and invited him into his heart, to his home. So he gave Jesus the ground floor and said, you can have everything here. I'm going to continue to live upstairs, but everything on the ground floor is yours. One day, there was a knock on the door. So the man opened it, and there was Satan. And Satan came in, and he roughed him up and beat him up and left him wounded on the floor and left. And the man turned to Jesus and said, 
Jesus, I invited you into my heart, into my home. You know, I thought you'd take care of things like this. The man said, yes. Jesus said to him, yes, you've invited me into your heart, but you've only given me the ground floor. So the man said, okay, Jesus, I understand. I'll give you the rest of my house too, the rest of my heart. But I'm just going to hold on to one room at the top, just one small room, because we all need our private spaces, right? And then one day, there was a knock on the door. Jesus didn't open it, so the man went and opened it. There was Satan And Satan came in and he roughed him around and beat him up and left him on the floor. The man turned to Jesus. He was really, really angry and said, Jesus, you should have answered the door and dealt with Satan. Jesus said, well, you've given me most of your heart, but there's still one room you need to surrender. And so the man said, okay, Jesus, I'll surrender Every room, you have access to every room. My life is yours, my house is yours, my heart is yours. Then one day, there was a knock on the door, and the man went to open it, and Jesus said, no, I've got this. So he opened the door, and there was Satan. And the man stood back because he was waiting for a big punch-up. But as Satan saw Jesus standing there, he bowed the knee. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. And Satan left. And Satan left. Let Jesus open the door of our hearts. I'm going to read a scripture now and then hand over to Pastor David. Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore, because Jesus had surrendered his life on the cross... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I am my beloved. He is mine. He lives in every part of my heart and I trust this morning that you can say the same thing.